1: Dear gas
2: prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota. Toyota. The number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years, with a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices, do you really think you could stand in our way? Think again. Toyota hybrids. Find yours at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
0: Based on manufacturer estimates, CY2000 2000 through 2021 sales. Football season is over. We can officially look back at 2021 22 and say it was a horrific season in the past tense. It is done, it's international football, it's transfers, and it's a bit of time away from Everton. But here we are, nevertheless, to have a chat about a few things. Toffees joining me as ever, Dave Downley. Dave, how are you this fine morning? I'm I'm okay, um, still still
1: uh, I think feeling really positive about everything because simply we're not playing any football <laughs> so it would it, be nice if that could carry on over to the new season um, and also it's uh, it's it's the fun transfer when I say fun in inverted commas transfer window spell now isn't it we're being linked with all sorts of different things different players and a load of blag accounts get set up on Twitter who think that they know things, and some of them have got silhouettes as pictures and all you, that sort of thing. You're going
0: to start one of them this summer? I think, it's, I think your time has probably, probably
1: come my, my 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 career of being an ITK is, is well, well gone, um, despite the fact where you always get a bit. Bits and pieces of information, but they certainly won't be going on Twitter it from me anyway. No, uh, I haven't got no shouts ever again. No, no, absolutely none of them. Um, but you know, some of them seem to have substance. Um, either they've just you know copied somebody else or whatever. But I know I'll probably go on to a little bit deeper. But um, the, the players were linked to and stuff like that. I think uh, the the one the one main concern. I think one of the main people we're going to talk about with Richarlison is the fact that the club don't have much money to spend um, and there's only one way you can get money to spend and that is by selling some of the ones that we've got right now as well. So it's going to be a really difficult balance, I think, for for Frank Lampard and co. Uh, in the summer and it's not one of those that I look forward to. I mean, I think I think if you remember, we go back to the days, Matt, when we particularly started the, uh, the Patreon uh, subscribers service five years ago, maybe. When we actually got excited about the who the, the club we're, were trying to buy in the summer and Sand Sandro and all this and you know it, we're like who we're going to buy next? We have got all this money we've got to spend, and then the uh, typical Everton style was sitting there a few years later with not not a pot to piss in,
0: and all the players we want to get rid of that we paid ridiculous amounts of money for. <laughs> what, <laughs> what a summer that was! The summer yeah. of Sandro. Oh my word! But um, yeah, and also joining us, well, Dave mentioned impersonating somebody else there and our next guest mentions last week i imagine went through the roof because we have got ryan reynolds joining us and ryan i've I've got to say mate you you replied to a tweet from a charlison taking the mick out of those reds who got stranded on the bus. and i know you get mistaken for the actual ryan reynolds quite a lot but my word i've never seen anything quite like that before
2: neither of I. to be perfectly (laughs) honest And it's still going today. Like every time I refresh my phone in the morning, it, it pops up that, you know, another fifty people have liked my reply and whatnot. I, I think um I worked it out. I think I've gained about a thousand followers from just that tweet. It's it's absolutely incredible.
0: I just love the fact that some people, as well, were saying your team, Rexton, have got a game today. Why, why <laughs> yeah. don't you concentrate on that? <laughs> <laughs> do you know, do you know. I think as well, it's,
1: it's it's scientifically a good experiment. I think because you can see people actually bother to look, just look, not even not even deeper to see that it's R Ryan rather than Ryan Yachter. <laughs> it's not actually that difficult to find out that it's R Ryan. Well, yeah, of um, course. I
0: say I say the real Ryan Reynolds. You're you're obviously the real one, mate. You know, I think. I think we know well, that. he knows he knows a lot more about football than the of Owner, Ryan Reynolds, anyway. Yeah. Well, we, we, I saw as well on the week. I think it was Michelle Owen, the Sky Sports broadcaster, said, "I'm not Michael Owen," just to let everybody know, and that they're actually different names. So people, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing I know it's it's
1: obviously unfortunate to Wrexham, I don't think we have many Wrexham fans will be listening to us, but um, when they played, it was at Bromley in the FA. Trophy final, and they uh, <laughs> they scored late on. It was it was disallowed, it to offside, and it showed you Ryan Reynolds. Who's the other fellow with the second name that I can't say? Oh, Rob thing? McElhaney Yeah, them two were hugging each other, giving it lows because they think deep won it. And then like even literally like a few minutes after, offside was called, and all the fans are like obviously booing and getting back into the game and all that. Those two are still celebrating because they never had a clue what had happened. They thought the goal was still stood. And some woman just walks up and says, "No, guys, it's not a goal. It's not counted." But yet they're still celebrating. And I thought that that is the i a probably excuse of the, the, the term, but the, the Americanism of of the way they come into um, English football. Uh, you know, and when when you see them celebrating like that, it's just it's just so American. When you look at the guys, even even the way in which they celebrate, um, I don't know. Maybe we need to speak to Rob Vane about this. But there's always like when we when we score a goal, Ryan. I'm, I'm presuming you're exactly the same. Like when when we score a goal here, you just go fucking nuts, don't you? You just j- jumping up and down, screaming as loud as you can, and all that. But then, when you see the way those guys certainly were celebrating this as well, or when you see it in the NFL and the NBA, it's sort of like put two hands in the air and go "woo" or something like that. <laughs> it's it's just it, it's not, just because that's exactly different. what happens,
0: is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you not, do you not think those completely
1: different a different way they have the, their culture in sports and how they celebrate. Like if, if in, in NFL and they, someone scores a. A touch start. I don't know. They don't celebrate like we'd celebrate Calvert Lewin scoring against uh, Palace. It's different moments, isn't it? It's um yeah, yeah. it is because like I presume like obviously it's going to touch that. There's more of them than there are goals. And there's more yeah. in NBA, obviously there's more three pointers or whatever in, in NBA than there are in, in, in our football as well. So I suppose, yeah, that's why it will be different. But I just still couldn't imagine US fans of sports coming here. And celebrating goals like we do. I just I like don't, I just, well, yeah, I didn't take the example of the, the MLS. I don't think when you see goals in that, you see celebrating like we celebrate. And by, and, and by no means am I putting us on a pedestal, by the way. It's obviously, a, it's, it's a pure, feral and natural feeling when you score a goal and how you celebrate it. I'm just, I'm just comparing it simply the way we celebrate the way. USA fans uh, celebrate. It's completely different, and I'm not sure why.
0: To be honest, I feel like I need to apologise to all our American listeners. I no, <laughs> that, I am not even saying bad about it. Hang on, I never said that. No, In upon- fairness, that- well, I, I, I sat next to Robin the Gladestry for the the game. Yeah, and that man started
1: crying. That's how, that's how passionate he is.
0: Yeah, but he, he still he still went mental. And he, I don't know why we've ended up here anyway. But um, I think it's a really interesting discussion that. But I, I did, I did. Obviously, right? We've I mean, spoken spoken to you for a while. Dave mentioned <laughs> that goal from Dominic calvert against Crystal Palace there, and I just wanted to ask you about that game and, and the end of the season. And he put both I, his arms in the air and like, went, <laughs> <laughs> hands in for
2: Calvert-Lewin, three-two. A golf clap.
0: Yeah, it was just a very soft golf clap. Yeah. But, I mean, without, head, a, head a dom what <laughs> <laughs> want to go into potentially Dave's offensive potential stereotypes about how different you're, you're making this, the,
1: the way it shouldn't you
0: um, <laughs> red card to you that much. Just just talk us through how you felt at the end of the season, how you felt about that. Game. I mean, just anything in particular you want to you go you want to go into about that end of the season and and how you're feeling about it now.
2: Oh mate, I don't even know where to start with the last sort of six to eight weeks of the season, I guess. And the one thing I think I said in a, in a chat group with you guys is that being on the other side of the world. And I'd imagine a lot of supporters felt this way. um, You kind of feel like there's nothing you can do to help. Whereas where you guys are at the ground, you can welcome in the bus. You can be at the ground, you can support the team, but for us, you just feel so distant and it's just such a helpless position to, to be in that you, you feel like you can have absolutely no impact on, on what's happening on the pitch. And it's, you know, I think for a lot of people, especially in Australia, you, in the workplace and, you know, in social circles, you tend to be the token Evertonian. There's not many of us sort of floating around. So when you when you go into social situations, the conversation is, oh, you guys are going to go down or will you stay up? And it's a repetitive cycle everywhere you go. So it turns into be something very similar to what you guys do in that you look for the Burnley results and Watford and... Newcastle and whoever else is around you at that stage. And you do all the the maths in your head. And I must admit, going to that Palace game, I was really confident that we'd win, Um, but not so much when we were 2-0 down at (laughs) halftime. Like, I don't think I've experienced anything like that in my life. Um, When when Dom scored that third goal, um, after sort of sitting there stunned for, you know, what felt like a couple of minutes, but it must have been about five or six seconds, I just, I couldn't help but cry, like... It just felt like all that emotion just comes out of your body that you for so long you'd been living it 24 hours a day, you know, riding the bumps. Um, and for that sort of feeling of security, knowing that we weren't going to concede another goal in those last few minutes, it was just, just overwhelming <laughs> in the end. And then, you know, to be able to sit and watch, like um, we, we've got it streamed, all our Premier League games are streamed and they cut to... Uh, they cut to the celebrations after the game. So we were able to watch like 10 or 15 minutes of what was going on at Goodison Park. And I just turned my speakers up and just sat there and enjoyed it. It was just incredible. It was I don't think, you know, I, people talk about winning trophies and that, and it's going to be great. But what that experience there is going to be so hard to be topped.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was, you said you had security there about the last seven minutes, I didn't in the ground, I, I, I was panicking, think we were going to concede a goal and, you know, it, it, it was absolutely insane to, to think back and, and you know what mate, I, I felt like we sort of all had an, an insight into what it's like being you, watching Everton, because I don't think anyone slept at all, worrying about the permutations or anything like that, I think people were up at all hours in the morning. You, know, you you sit bowls up right in your bed at three o'clock thinking, who have Burnley got this weekend again? And what time does it kick off? You know, is is Ashley Barnes suspended or is he going to play? You know, those sorts of things. I like you're going through my head all the time.
2: I've, I've never sort of woken up at 12 o'clock at night and then opened my phone to see what Burnley were up to. But that was the stage of the, the <laughs> season we got to. And then you're like, oh, they're 2-0 they're down or whatever they were. And you're like, oh, well, this is this is unreal for us. And then you wake up the next morning and you're you go, oh, hopefully it was three or whatever, and you're like, they won, and it's just ruined your day, like, um, it was tough, but I will say, when, I, when we got it to 2-2, I was pretty confident we'd get the third, it just felt like, it may not have felt it in the ground, but sort of watching it from afar, you could really feel that the momentum was had turned, and Crystal Palace were, were like a boxer that was out on their feet, I thought. Yeah, it's, it's mad to, to
0: look back at it, Dave, we won't, you know, spend too much more time on this, because we're all going to speak about Richarlison and everything else, but it's mad to, to look back at that game and think how we panned out isn't it because the whole thing or certainly the whole second half was just so unevitant wasn't it when you think back to all the, the moments and all the things that, that went our way and the manner in which we rallied from that, that position of adversity
1: Yeah I mean I I, I must admit
0: I, I must have been
1: close to getting sacked because I was in work that night and for some reason, <laughs> and I don't know whether somebody's taking the piss, who, who the management in in the BBC who, who do the rotors and things like that, but um, they put me in that night, Thursday night, and they also put to do the podcast, by the way, um, and they also put me in on the uh, Liverpool Champions League final night as well. So I think somebody just wants to like experimentally see what I react to. With certain things happening games and obviously I, I, I never hide it, I don't hide it that I'm never told you whenever I go really. Even though um it might be a little bit against the policy of the BBC not to be uh, not to be neutral towards any any sort of footballing or whatever sport you're into, type of thing. But um I I was I was having kittens, I, I started I started not admitting, it, I started crying when uh, when when Palace went to 0 a lot, I thought that was it. Uh, because certainly that game against Arsenal was just if we needed anything from that, we were gone. We were absolutely gone. And in that case, that would mean that losing to Palace, obviously I think we'd have been gone anyway. As I suppose the, the the cruel sort of irony of that game and how much we all enjoyed it at the end and the scenes that we saw in Goodison was the fact that we didn't actually have to do anything in that game given the fact that we would have stayed up anyway. Which which is quite funny. You know, almost in Almost in a, the, the typical Everton fashion, that it didn't actually matter anyway in the end. But we obviously we went to know that at the time, and um, I think it'll long stick in our memory. It's it's become the uh, the it's it's been the thing that's been added to the tripod of Everton staying in the Premier League, hasn't it? When you think of 94, 98 and now twenty twenty two, um, you know let let's hope that we never have to witness that again. Really, I know, and and you know the the, the thing is that I think many fans would say. Would be, you know, when you're when you're in in the ground with your club, and there are moments like that which are just sensational as fans. Um, almost in in a way, you get fans, and I think that that was probably a lot the way that Liverpool fans took the piss out of us at the time was that, oh look look at you celebrating staying in the Premier League, look at you celebrating not getting relegated, and the the, the right in the way that it was a celebration, but there's an asterisk that you put to that celebration that is it, it wasn't it wasn't celebrating in, t- in regards to success it was celebrating in regards to relief um, to just having that feeling that this football club is not going to be a lesser state of what you've known it as ever since you were an Everton fan when you were a kid and a baby or whatever you look at the way in which we've stayed in the Premier League it's been absolutely dreadful the season itself was appalling and um, but that one moment that we all got, it wasn't, it wasn't celebrating like we'd won last minute in a, in, in a Merseyside derby or we won, dare to say, it, a trophy, which we hope those days come at some point. It was, it was a completely different celebration to the point where I'm referring to myself when, when Calvert-Lewin scored. I'm watching it on a tiny screen in, in, in Salford putting together the podcast that was going to happen after the game for the BBC. I just burst into tears and fell to my knees. Um, I don't think I'd be doing that if we won a trophy, for instance. I, I think, think you probably agree with that, Matt, that you'd celebrate yeah, it's like... slightly differently, certainly in a different, maybe not different way in, in the way you physically go, go the way you do about it. And we all jump up and down and you can't control your emotions. But when, if and when we win a trophy, you will celebrate in a different sort of way. The, the goal we scored against Palace and, and that kept us up.
0: Yeah, I think Les has always said that, hasn't he? Because he's obviously someone who's watched us be the best team on, in the world. and I've watched us in you know our current guys. And yeah. But the way the way I'd sort of try and I was trying to think of like a way of describing it like when you were talking that it it'd be like being a soldier and surviving a war, I'd say. It's it's like that that sort of relief and just getting to the end and not and, and you know, still being there and still being afloat, if you want to use the you know, the football term, but it's just yeah, it, it is remarkable. I suppose
1: about. you know what What the, 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 that's a really interesting point you've made there because you know, if you if you watch old films like you know, Saving Private Riot or something like that, that's quite appropriate, isn't it? Um, if you if you watch films like that when you see the end of it, with like you say, with you've won a war or they're gonna be okay. But it's all, not even, it's all, not even all,
0: winning the war; it's
1: just getting through it. All no, life. that's it. That's, that's <laughs> the point I'm making. So the the, the 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 soldiers sort of all not congratulate each other, but they hug each other. The the, the emotion comes to the front because it's over, and there's a feeling that you know you, you you've reached the next stage of life without, with, it, it while well, she's still intact, whilst everybody's intact. and, The way you speak of it like that, it's the way in which you watch people. And I think uh, you can refer to this in in recent uh, days with the uh, playoff finals. You look at Nottingham Forest, the way they celebrated that. 23 years since they've been in in the Premier League. They're obviously such a huge club. And you look at the, the scenes at Wembley. They were doing, I would refer to what we were doing. As in, it wasn't running around with a trophy saying, you know, we've won it. And you're at that stage that is just electrifying. It was it was more relief than it was celebration. But it's difficult to, you know, if you look at, if you had the photo, you or me or anybody, Ryan, when we've scored that goal against Palace and you do that, say if we went and won the FA Cup next year, they'd be completely different emotions to look at. But, you know, you get people who do rip that you, that you feel the same as if that was to happen um, and then you know to, to the, the Liverpool side of things um, you look at the way their season ended and stuff like that you can you can see you can see why initially you, you take the piss a little bit at first but it, it just shows you how much we care about our club it shows you how how much we're associated and, and, and our lives are directly connected to the way Everton do um, and and yeah. Yeah, like I say, the, 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 I'm talking as if I'm, it's only just happened, like it happened yesterday, something <laughs> that I feel that much relief about it. Brian, really, it's got us all emotional again. Well, exactly, yeah. and that's yeah. it, a little tear in my eye now, but <laughs> it, it makes you feel as if that, please never happen again, just please don't happen again. Yeah, you get people saying, well, that's probably the best moment or the most iconic or memorable moment that's happened for Everton in the last 30 years. Well, <laughs> sadly, yes, it is, but, in, in terms of how we all reacted, we've never felt the way we did about Everton staying up, certainly since ninety eight. Obviously, um, it, we feel that way because we love the club. We don't feel that way because we feel like they've won anything. And I know it's it, it's obviously it's obvious, but it seems like you have to explain that to certain people who will criticise everybody running on the pitch and everybody celebrating, everybody getting flares out and stuff like that when we've only just finished sixteenth. Um, I, I think that's quite sad when other people refer to it that way.
2: The, the one thing I will add to that, Dave, too, is that you know a lot of football fans don't understand the situation Everton was in and the, the potential future for Everton football Club. So yep. if you tell someone, how would you act if, if you knew at come the end of the season that your football club would fail to exist in the form that you know it, and you miraculously are able to survive, well, I'm pretty sure that 99% of football fans would act in a very similar way to... What the Everton fans did, and I think there's just a lack of understanding exactly of where Everton was financially and what relegation would actually mean for the club. Yeah, I think that's I not- think
0: that's such a good way to put it. That. Yeah, and it, it's not it's not like before the game. Obviously, there's a lot of maybe choreographed isn't the right word. There's a lot of there's a lot of fan organisation wasn't there before games in regards to we're going to do this, we're going to get the, you know the bus welcomes, we're going to arrive at this time. It was all quite planned, whereas what happened at full time. Thursday, a fortnight ago, was just instinctive and organic. It wasn't like before the game everyone said, right, if we win tonight, we're all going to run on the pitch. I think if Everton probably win that game 2-0, it's all very comfortable. Nobody runs on the pitch. I think the nature in which that they, they stay up and and all that is is part of why the celebrations were, were so wild. But, I mean, one of the, the, the fellas who was absolutely crucial in that and in the end of the season was with Charleston. Of course, he's very much... I think in that, that time period cemented his status as as one of Everton's Premier League modern day great you could say um, scoring six goals three assists in those last ten games to help drag Everton away from it. Uh, Ryan earlier in the week I think he, we had the situation that a lot of us feared that was him being on international duty in front of a microphone and getting asked about his future and he gave an interesting answer. He was quite candid, but there's still certainly room for ambiguity in the, the quote as well. If anyone's not listened to Subs Weekly yet, by the way, over on Blue Room Extra, we had Alan Fahili on, who speaks Portuguese, and he sort of gave a bit more of a breakdown in regards to the, the context of it and the tone in which he spoke in, and, and obviously his, his native tongue. And And he sort of seemed to indicate that maybe it's not quite as as negative as what a lot of us have sort of made out. But, but nevertheless, mate, there are hints and suggestions in there that he you know he might want to move on. I think everybody sort of appreciates how good a player he is and the situation the club are in and wouldn't be surprised if someone came in for him. I mean what what are your feelings on this situation at the moment? Because I think there's obviously doesn't really seem to be any natural fifth for him or any strong interest of any particular club but it just feels like there's a swell of feeling around Richardson that, that maybe he might have kicked
2: his his last ball in Everton shirt. Well, firstly, I want to thank Alan for talking me off the edge because up until I listened to him speak, <laughs> I was convinced that Richie was gone reading those quotes. So he, he put me he put me at significant ease there. Um, geez, it's a, it's a really hard one because I think you're right. I, I don't think there's a natural club where you'd go. Richarlison will definitely go to a PSG or a Barca or, or a Real, and then you look at the the clubs lower than that, say. Um, I'd know, like a Spurs or a Chelsea or an Arsenal. And that sort of a move is fraught with risk heading into a World Cup year. I mean, if you make a move to Chelsea and he spends half his time on the bench or, you know, struggles to make an impact, well, his spot in the Brazilian starting um, 11 is really under threat come the World Cup. So the way I've always read Richarlison, and, you know, it, it might be proven wrong, but playing for Brazil to me seems like, his number one goal winning trophies with Brazil is what he wants to achieve. Everything outside of that uh, is a bonus. Um, So I think for that reason, I think unless we're really desperate to sell him for the money, I could definitely see him staying for another 12 months and, and just seeing what doors open in another 12 months time, because I I don't think there's a club that will be able to match our valuation that he can get that guaranteed starting time that doesn't put his world cup at risk. Um, I hope that's right anyway. That's my glass half full approach to the whole thing. But, no, I, I, uh, I, I, I Got me. sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, but it, it honestly wouldn't shock me that if a team come in with an offer we couldn't refuse and Frank Lampard, Lampard looked at it and said, look, we can get 60 or 80 million pounds for him. It's going to free us up for financial fair play. We'll be able to buy three new plays with that money. Well, it might just be a financial decision in the end. Yeah, th- there's a lot of... In
0: between, for want of a better phrase, David, in this, isn't it? And I think Ryan's absolutely right in the, in the two things he said. And I, and I agree about the the club that you'd look at in maybe going because you look at Real Madrid and think maybe he's not going to go there and be a regular starter. He'd probably be a, a squad player. Barcelona probably couldn't afford him. PSG and Mbappe just signed an, an absolutely ridiculous contract, although they have got insane amounts of money, but they are well-stocked to forwards. I think it's fair to say with, with the lads they've got there. I mean, you sort of go through the, the Premier League clubs as well. Does he get any any of the top three sides? Probably not. United, maybe. But can anyone else afford the money that, that Everton really want for him? So there's, there's that sort of in-between. And Ryan mentioned the World Cup there as well. And I think that's, that's really important in all this, isn't it? Because I think there's going to be a lot of players this summer who are linked of moves, who are part of the national teams. And they're probably looking at that World Cup at the end of November and thinking it might be a bit of a risk to, to up sticks, go to a different team, different manager, different style before that tournament because it could potentially see me out of favour, could see me struggle for form. You know, It could go the other way, of course. It could it could enhance that, but I think Richarlison will, will look at Brazil's squad and look at the options they've got there. And, and while he's playing for them regularly now, I sort of think that he might look at it and go... And being trying to be as positive as possible, he <laughs> might look at it now and go. If I go to a club where I'm not going to be playing regularly, I might go from a lad who plays for Brazil at the World Cup, than a lad well to, to a lad that just goes to the World Cup, and maybe doesn't play as active a role. Oh, uh, I think uh, <laughs> t-
1: probably to typical style. I'm I'm a bit more cynical than the, the better you two there. What you said.
0: Well, sitting uh, here right now, Dave, where do you think he goes?
1: Certainly not. I don't think he'll be playing for Everton in performance time, where, time.
0: Which which. So it will be four months' time. So you, you think in January he moves after the World Cup, or
1: no, no? I'm sorry. I'm, I, what I should have said was, what, what is it to the season starts and two months away now, isn't it? Always mm. oh, does me. in how quickly it changes
0: and we're back playing again. I was, but... was going to say, like, is he going to go to like where Hammers went when, when that's <laughs> <winter stayed> over? <laughs> he's going to go to with yeah, Al Ryan? Yeah, end up end up at uh, Newcastle, They'll
1: find some way of able to spend <laughs> the money whenever they want to. Um, no, I I think he's going to go, um, and you know. I think the 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 standard way everybody's talking about this is good luck to him. I think of the words if if he does go given how he's played for us and that's certainly echo that. I I just think the way modern football is these days I don't see a team like Everton keeping him. I don't think I don't think he wants to stay if I'm honest. I think he's he's he says all the right things. I think he's a very intelligent young lad as well to be fair. Um I think he the way in which he he shows his badge off, doesn't he? And he does everything that you want as the fan of a football club, that he loves us and things like that. Um, But that, that just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in football anymore. The things of players staying for, because they love football clubs, just simply don't happen. Uh, and I've had plenty of arguments about this because, you know, it's particularly, I think that echoes towards younger fans that they're desperate for him to stay because they love the bones of the lad. Um. I don't know, I suppose in my old days, I, I've, I'm beyond feeling that I love a particular player. The last one that I'd refer to in that way is Lukaku, um, because I desperately did not want him to leave, given what he was for us. In Richarlison, I'd say personally, which is my own personal opinion before anyone kicks off, I, I, I don't feel the affection that certainly you do, Matt, because I know you talk about him so fondly, um, the, way, the way Ryan has, and the way, I'd say, the majority of Evertonians speak about him. Um, because I don't, I don't feel he's the the, the epitome of Everton in, in regards to the way Lukaku was, for instance. Um, and I'm and I'm sure you probably disagree with that, Matt. Given
0: well, the, uh, what a, what it, I was say, it, I think that there's a bit, and I think he's probably a better player than than this person. But there's a bit of Duncan Ferguson with this, I think. In the he's our best player in a time of, of real. The legend slash icon, but well, he's type not. Of he's, thing. he's not in that bracket, is he? But he, you look at. Well, icon. Like, I'd, say, I'd say. he's in an iconic sort of bracket. Well, you, you look at it, and I don't want to go into the whole is Ferguson a legend? we will be here yeah. all day. But he Ferguson is so revered because he was the one who sort of put his head above the parapets at a time when the club was on its knees and Richarlison has done similar hasn't he this season and I, I think Richarlison is a much better player th- th- don't get me wrong and we'll probably go on to do a lot more in the game but I think there's, there's a bit of that about it isn't there you know, I'm not sure how good he is personally You know, I, I look at him and, uh, and think he could either go to a, a club like Real Madrid or somebody else at that top level and I could see him going on to become a $20 season striker but I could easily see him going there and struggling as well I, I think he's sort of at that point in his career where I don't, I don't know which way it would go for and if he's well, when he takes that, that that next step up, but I think he's ultimately been Everton's best player, hardest worker, most passionate fella, the person that we can resonate with on the pitchers fans, at a time when we we really been looking for those sorts of figures. Well, I think, I mean, it's difficult to say this without sounding like
1: I'm criticizing the lad. There are times when I've watched him, um, and look, take take if you, I, mean, I know it's difficult and almost impossible for everyone to do, but you take post-Christmas out of his performances for Everton um, I, I don't actually think he was, he was that great for us pre that time I think he's done exactly what you said there in terms of putting his head above the parapet and actually showing care about the football club um, would we have gone down without him probably yes I would have to say that, um, that that's the credit I put towards it have a look at his Everton career now, and, and lo and behold, I've done a bit of research before we uh, we, we started. He's played 152 oh, wow. games, and scored 53. Early in the goals. morning,
0: him as well. I've got to say, <laughs> exactly. sorry. yeah, sorry. yeah. Um, he's
1: good. He's played 152 games for Everton and he scored 53 goals. Um, this this lad that we have got was signed as me- meaning to be a goal scorer, um, and I know he's, we've played him on the left hand side and all that, and there's there's plenty of debate and discussions to be had of. Where his best position is, um, has he been worth the money we paid for him? Yes, but is he is he as big as people are associating? And, and I think actually people are <clears throat> people care about him that much simply because what he's done for the football club has operated so much in the front of our minds from the last few months as opposed to his entire Everton tenure. If you get what I mean. So there the, are the times when I've looked at him, when I've thought the lad's gone missing in a game. Um, there are times when I've looked at him and thought, oh, "Have we paid that much money out for the lads?" Because he's obviously back to the the initial um Machiri purchases. Um, no doubt, obviously, he's been the best of those, <clears throat> but I I don't think I don't think he's the player and the the, the figure that so many are saying he is. I.e. If we were to lose him, I don't think it's as bad as when we've lost Lukaku, or when we've when we've lost others in the park. When we lost Ferguson, uh, when he went to Newcastle, I, I don't think he's in that bracket for me. Um, and I think that if we were to go and get the right amount of cash from him and Frank Lampard was able um, and allowed to spend the way in which he wanted to, not the, uh, the, the whole rigmarole of shite that we've had, we do with our finances and um, with players. I actually think that he could actually do a lot of good and a lot of damage um, in terms of building this squad. Because let's face it, that's the only way we're going to have the, an efficient amount of money to spend this summer is by selling players. Now, we we discussed this last week um, with, uh, with Les and Pete about the three players that we have proper value from uh, in terms of assets and money we get are him, Calvert-Lewin and Pickford. They're the three that you could sell if you're looking for big, big money. Now, obviously, Pickford's a no-go. I wouldn't want that lad to go from anywhere, um, which obviously attributes how well he's done for us recently. Calvert-Lewin's a completely different thought. I think so many people have got so many different opinions about the lad and how that season went about um, and how much he's sort of fallen off the radar from... How well, good he was last year with Ancelotti. And then you've got Richarlison, who's probably the most uh, expensive of the three for somebody to come and buy. M- money wise, I don't know what Everton would accept. Um, and uh, look, I wouldn't like the lad to leave in general. And I say that as a general term. But if Everton were to sell a player, he's the most sellable and most valuable asset we could sell. Um, I that's why I think he'll go. Um, and well, I mean, I know, I know it goes back to quite a childish sort of chat, but what what price do you think Everton take
0: or you take for him? I mean, I think it depends on who comes in for him. I think they'll want more if it's a, a domestic rival in inverted commas. But I mean, looking at what say sixty, Ryan, would you go round about that figure?
2: Oh yeah, I was thinking sixty to eighty. 80 would be the the upper end if you were trying to sell it to a Premier League rival, I think. Like, if a United or something come in, I, I feel like you'd want more than 60 <clears throat> selling to yeah. someone like United. If it was, you know, in other parts of Europe, like a um, Barca or Real or, or something, maybe 60. Yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's but the it's, other, other
1: side you're looking at,
0: that is, you know... It- it's contracts up, isn't it? In Two years, eighteen months. Yeah, two years, yeah. So th- this this is the summer, isn't it? If you want to get full value for your asset, it's it's now, isn't it? Yeah. But but I think the the issue is, and you know, I, t- I, t- I, t- I do take on board a lot of what you say there, Dave. You made a lot of, lot of interesting points. I think uh, I sort of look at it Ryan now is that you know Dave mentioned Lukaku there, and obviously we've had this situation recently with Drissi Gay and, and John Stones as well, and and Everton have not done a great job. It'd be fair to say of replacing. Any of those labs, and obviously, that's been under different directors of football, different manager, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's a thread there of, of poor recruitment when we've come to losing players. And it's at that point, we were sort of a team that was pushing for Europe, then a team that was mid table, and then a team that was lower mid table. It's, it's where we are now. If you look at this squad and you say, well, Richarlison was our top scorer, he was the lad who got the most assists, he was the one who did the most running, he scored the most important times, etc. etc. If you lose him and then you entrust the recruitment team with 60 million, 80 million, whatever it is. Granted, we've got a new director of football and it's obviously going to be a big summer for him. But I don't know if I trust Everton with that kind of money yet. And I don't know if I trust Everton to replace a player like Richie Arlison in a team that is so poor and he got 39 points and finished 16th. And for us to make the, the most of that margin of error I've got, we've got, because I suppose we've not really got much of a margin anymore, have we, given where we are? Well, you're right in that way, in terms of sorry, was that to Ryan first?
2: Yeah, sorry, apologize. (laughs) No, go, Dave, you go. I'll chop in after you.
1: All I was (laughs) going to say was you're spot on in in terms of um, there's there's a complete distinct lack of trust towards the people that will be in and around deals that get done for us to sign footballers. Um, But sadly, the only way things improve are by, you know, you do have to allow them that chance. Um, and, you know, also the other thing I'd add to that is Frank Lampard, new manager, who's been here for a, few, a couple of months, um, absolutely deserves and in many ways has earned by keeping Everton in the Premier League the right to have a transfer window, well, at least one anyway, where he's going to be able to put his own effect into this squad. Um, now, sadly, the only way that can happen, given the way FFP and everything else is these days, that is the only way Everton can spend money, is either by doing that or, or selling. For instance, you know, if, if you want to get 50 million quid, which is the fee that I had in my mind with, with Richarlison, certainly if you're staying in the Premier League, because um, I don't think Everton could refuse that, to be honest. Um, you know, how would you, How's the alternative to that? You'd have to sell, what, four or five players? Who would you want to get rid of? You're looking at, I don't know, Gomez. That's a, that's a conversation from a different time, in fact, isn't it, really? And um, The players that we actually could send and get value for, there aren't that many at all, really, given how they've been that much of a letdown. Um, that I can't see us getting in excess of, say, 10 to 15 million quid for some of them. Really, which obviously wouldn't be ideal for us. And then, and then you—it's almost like you've got a, you know a balance there, haven't you? You've got do we sell them as in value of the player to the team, and the other one is—is is it essential that we need to sell them because we need money to buy other players who will hopefully improve the squad? That's the way in which I'm going to be looking at this this summer and this window. is obviously one of the ones that will weigh down the case of we need him because he's our best player. Um, the cruel irony is that he has to go for us to get enough money to spend and buy players. So <clears throat> it's it's such a it's such a difficult one that we've got. And I think you're absolutely right, Matt. The thing that is at the centre of that is how this football club has, has been operated for so long. And you know, you just have to you just have to hope and, and pray in many ways that the Thelwell who's come in is of the ability that is essential for us to buy players that will actually do something in a positive direction. Um, and Frank Lampard is able to operate with them Um, and that one big word I think that we were one of the Premier League clubs that initially used this word really really stylishly and that was loan and I think we'll be doing a
0: few of that this summer. Yeah, Bring back Avalon, but go go on Ryan (laughs) what what do you
2: make of that mate? Uh, Just just today's point I guess a little bit more is if you you would compare the past few managers and, and transfer budgets I think and this might be slightly controversial, but I'd actually trust Frank Lampard with $60 million more than I would say a Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I feel that Frank will be buying the type of players that will have that residual value, regardless of whether they succeed or fail um, mm. at Everton. And I think you, you've got to remember that, you know, that's, that's where we are now as a club that, you know, we're not, look, we can't afford to just top up, top up, top up and, and hope it all clicks. We're at a, at a full rebuild phase now where you look at the squad, you strip it there and you start again and you hope, hope to God that you don't get yourself relegated doing it. Um, but, you know, the rewards at the end of it, if you can do it right, are very, very, very fruitful. Um, and, you know, if if Farhad Mashiri keeps his, his big nose out of it and uh, he lets people do their jobs, then I think, you know, Frank has that attraction Four young players he's a very relevant manager he's a, a relevant player in a lot of people's eyes um and he just needs to be given the time to do his job him and kevin need time yeah i think mean that that's that spot we
0: can't have another summer where we sign an alan a james rodriguez a decor right? you know lads who are above that that 27 year old thing where by the end of the contracts they've got you no know, Resale value because look at us now with with Alan, you know I think he's been linked with the move this summer. Obviously, Rodriguez has gone, but but yeah, I mean just just to finish off as as well, lads, before we do wrap up today, one game last night which was was really fascinating actually, Scotland against Ukraine. Unfortunately, we didn't get the Nathan Patterson versus Vitali Mikolenko battle on the wing, which I was quite looking forward to. Although Patterson should probably play in some of Scotland's upcoming games, but um, Ukraine one Ryan Michalenko just dead dependable dead solid as he has been for for a long time now great for him and obviously his, his fellow countrymen given what's going on there at the moment um but just I just thought it'd be a nice time to sort of reflect on on his time at Everton and the way in which it's gone so far because to be honest it, it just felt like a lot that was getting better and better towards the end of the season and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do next year as well now.
2: Absolutely, and firstly, you're very Ukrainian today. Actually, with the the blue and yellow jumper, mate, is right in the spirit of Mikolenko. Absolutely. Um...
0: When I when I was away the other week, and I had this jacket on, someone said, "Why well, have you got a Ryanair tracky top on?" But uh, <laughs> it's, it's,
2: not, it's not it's not the first, it's not
0: it's not the third of me from wearing
2: it. <laughs> I actually did watch the game this morning, uh, or this morning our time. Um, being of Ukrainian heritage, I do have a soft spot for the national team. So uh, it's so good to see Mikolenko. Um, firstly on the national stage he just looked so comfortable again on the ball he actually played a lovely little through ball in the second half that that sort of set them on their way and you know that's something that we can start to look forward to a little bit more I think next season in that he arrived and was sort of thrown into that cauldron wasn't he and you know I, I just sort of think back to, to listening into some Twitter spaces and some of the stuff that was said about him allegedly by members of staff at the club and and whatnot and you know, like the, the poor kid was sort of being set up to fail, and you kind of think, you know, that back pass—if uh, was it his second game, it might have been his first start, where he had that—that that was
0: Norwich, game. wasn't it? It was his first Premier League start, yeah,
2: yeah. And you kind of think, you know, if that goes in the back of the net, is that you know the tipping point for him in his evident career? But you know, full credit to him. I mean, I think he he really thrived off um, our more sort of resolute defending and and being very pragmatic at the back and. You know, I think that allowed him to find his feet defensively and do what he was really good at. Um, and now the challenge for him is to improve on on his service going forward. Um, we probably didn't see enough of it, like enough quality in the final third. Um, but he's just got so many different attributes that I love about a fullback. He's so athletic. I mean, the, the amount of ground he can cover is exceptional. And uh, if you're comparing him to Dean, he, he's definitely a better defensive player for sure. So... Um, yeah, I, I really like him as a player. He, he's sort of grown very quickly, you know, in my, in my fondness. And I think a full pre-season under Lampard with with Cole and Baines sort of guiding him, um, yeah, we could have a really nice player on our hands.
0: Yeah, I think Dave, he sort of he had a lot to, to deal with in January, didn't he? And obviously, I'm not even talking about the stuff that's obviously going on away from football, but you think about, he obviously came in to replace a popular player in Luka Dean who was sort of held up as someone who rebelled against an unpopular manager at, at that point. And Mikalenko, I think at that point as well, was sort of viewed as Benitez's man. There's obviously a lot of skepticism around him coming to a new country and a new league in itself is, is tough enough, but I think the way in which he sort of knuckled down and, got on with it and I think the United game I think was the one for me where I sort of looked at him and thought we might have a, a proper player on our hands here he, he sort of really stood up that day and dealt with a tricky opponent Jayden Sancho really well and he just he just seems a lot more at ease now a, a lot more settled and I don't think he's ever going to be a player that's going to bomb forward and they get us 10-15 assists a season but he just looks like someone we're not going to potentially have to worry about all that much going forward he's just going to be a, a pretty dependable performer for us. Yeah, he's such a reliable asset
1: to us now, isn't he? When you when you know when, when he came in, uh, along with uh, with Patterson, you think of the Benitez signings as well. Um, you know, he, there was there was a huge amount of, of scepticism about about him. I think when a few of us seen him play, we thought this this lad's just not cutting it in the Premier League, and it's going to take, if anything, a long time if he's going to be able to, to to get into the rigmarole of um, Premier League action at left back. And in the light of, like you just said, losing Luca Dean, who's probably our best in terms of creating some sort of assists in, in, in the team and getting the ball across, um, the, the sort of the eyes are fully at him with all of that in mind, looking at a player of that level. um, And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I didn't actually think he'd play, to be fair. And he didn't play a few games, did he, at the start? And um, he'd be come on off the bench and stuff like that. And then obviously with, with what happened in his country, um, all of that against somebody... I mean, what 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 a fantastic human being that lad is, um, based on everything that's happened to him. Coming to a foreign country, obviously not speaking the language, um, but right now in, in some of the videos we've seen from the club, he does talk English now, and he's, he's sort of getting on a hell of a lot better. Um, and, and things seem to have fallen in line, thankfully, for him, and he deserves it. He absolutely deserves it if he's feeling better, and that's only because of what we see. Uh, in, internally he might still be suffering uh, immensely given what's happened um, but you, you can't, I don't think you can see a better professional about the place really, you can't look at, at anybody in, in any of our lives and the way we all work you know, heaven forbid if, if, if anything like what's happened to him happens in your, in your life you know, your, your, I certainly wouldn't handle it the way he has anyway I know I wouldn't be able to rock up to work and perform the way he has Unfortunately, what he has to perform is football. You know, we can, we can do different things in our lives, the way we work, um, that, that isn't front and centre for everybody to see, the way in which we have to with that lad. Um, so he's, he's, he should be immensely proud of himself and I'm certainly proud of him. Um, and I think in many ways that goal he scored at Leicester, I think was probably one of my favourites of all season. Um, I know we've spoken about lot about Richarlison other players. In bagging that and also after that United game the relief when that scene you see after it where he beats the floor and, and he's in tears because Everton have gone and won that game that level of commitment given what's gone on um, was astonishing and I, I, I honestly it's off me cap to that lad I think he's brilliant and I can't wait to see more of him because I'm not sure I fully agree with what you said, Matt, about him, him not being able to do what Luka Dean's done for us and going forward. Because in the last few games, he bombed it. He does absolutely bomb it forward from the left-hand side. Now, we don't know, like you say, I, I refer to your point you've said about Luka Dean. You know you're going to get a fantastic whip of a ball put in by his left foot. We don't know that mikalenko has got that or we haven't seen it to that level of Lucretien, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't put it against him, given everything he's succeeded with since
0: he's come to the football club. Sorry, Ryan, but do, do you want to make a point there, Mase?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say that the other thing that, you know, it might be worth sort of thinking about is that, you know, mentally for him, he got a transfer to us in January and not long after the war started. He, he for whatever reason, could be sitting back at home thinking, well, if I didn't get this transfer to Evidence, what, what is my life like now? Because in yeah. the Ukraine, they're obviously conscripting uh, you know men of his age into the army and you know while he he may not necessarily have been you know on the front line with a you know ak-47 or whatever i mean odds are that he might have been having to do you know some sort of wartime work um had, had he not ended up in england i mean it's a it's a massive sliding doors moment for, for someone who's 23
0: yeah and i imagine there's probably- some sense that he feels obligated now to, to, to go, you know, maybe he feels like he should be there. You know, I think that it was the the Ukraine coach last night. I was, I was reading him saying that he wanted to be on the front line. He volunteered to be part of the, the army there, but they effectively turned him down because of his, his lack of experience there because of how old he is. So I imagine there's, there's a lot of internal conflict going on with, with those lads who, who played last night, given what they're dealing with. And of course, if they go again now on, on Sunday, they've got Wales away in Cardiff and, should be an interesting game. Zinchenko, by the way, fantastic last night, wasn't he? You know, he's been linked with, with Everton. He'd be, he'd be a cracking signing, but I imagine there's going to be a few clubs higher up the, the food chain. who may be wanting now after seeing how he played last night. But, yeah, we will leave it there. We'll chat about that deal and that interest if it does come to a bit more fruition. Uh, Dave, first day of the Test match, summer over here. Looking forward to it.
1: Oh, yeah, can't wait. It, it feels like proper summer, doesn't it? When, uh, when we're playing at Lords and everything just looks immaculate. Uh, almost akin to what we would hope to expect when we fall back, when come back and play in a Goodison with the when the grass just looks like it hasn't been touched. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's just a fantastic time of year um, if you're into your cricket as well because hopefully you get your your long nights where it's uh, you know you're not going to bed until late on and because the the sun stays up until like what eight nine ten o'clock yeah. at night and um, you can watch the the Test match reviews and Test match special and all that it's um yeah it's a great it's a great feeling when the cricket's back like the way it is today and um you know ben stokes as well i'm a massive fan of ben stokes so hope he does what he can do um,
0: both with the bats and the ball and also the captaincy now yeah and uh ryan bless him is snuggled up in six degrees in australia uh,
2: quite one it doesn't in front sound of the fire. like that does it, it does not yeah, sound right quiet one in front of the fire tonight mate for you cup nice cup of tea hot chocolate a, a nice hot chocolate. I might even turn on the cricket. I, I do like the English summer of cricket. The uh, the only thing redder than a cricket ball are the poms in the grandstands with their shirts <laughs> off. So, <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who do you want to win, England or what? New Zealand? Oh uh, mate, I'm just hoping it's five days of boring cricket for the whole <laughs> series. I, I don't want either team to win. <laughs> five draws will do me just fine. You certainly wouldn't find me a butt with our tops off in a
0: cricket stadium. <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not I don't think anyone wants to see that but uh, yeah cheers lads uh, that's been your weekly show uh, just a reminder if you want more from us throughout the summer uh, we have got Blue Room Extra I know still going as we cover all the goings on at Everton it's patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra works out about a pound a week you can hear great things like Anna for translating Portuguese and the likes um, so do come and join us over there if you want a little bit more content but that's been your weekly show we'll speak to you again next week here on the Blue Room take care